Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let the knowledge flow. Ask the Dean, episode 85. I am Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here with my fellow co-host, Dr. Scott Wright. How are you doing? Hey, 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 hey. I'm doing good. <laughs> Former um, director of admissions at UT Southwestern. Not to be confused with that amazing, amazing institution of UT Southeastern. I don't, I don't even know if there's one that exists. <laughs> I don't think there is one that exists. <laughs> um, I always confuse the, the two schools that I always confuse are Northeastern and Northwestern. I'm like, why are you two uh-huh. named the same? Both yeah. great institutions. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, um, thanks for being here, Dr. Wright. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Verinia Granham, hello, former hello. assistant dean in pre health and STEM advising at Hofstra. Hofstra. Yes, that's so fancy. Good, fancy, good, fancy. Good. Um, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Good to be here. Ready to answer some questions? Yes, absolutely. All right. And MAPT co-founder, MCAT test prep extraordinaire, my favorite word, Rachel Grubbs. How are you? Uh, I am going to be more alert the more caffeine i drink i'm good i'm good and getting better that's good that's good i don't know what this caffeine thing is although i do take caffeine pills now uh, just because my wife says they're good for me they don't touch me at all so i don't know what they're supposed to do but okay anyway okay yeah 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 we we've talked a bunch about i i'm not a coffee person that is not me so Mm. you poor child I'm a weirdo. It's okay. Well, we are here. Why do we show up here every week, Verinia? Because we are amazing. We're the amazing, (laughs) marvelous map team. And we look forward to hanging out with each other as well as answering all of your questions. That's really why we're here. Woohoo. We look forward to to this this day of the week. It's one of my faves. Yep. That is why we are here. Yeah. To answer questions. That's it. So if you have a question, if you're watching on Instagram right now, uh, go to mapped.tv. We'll take questions from there. Um, Type your questions. We'll answer them here. And then we're going to have some fun. That's what we do. Yes. That's what we do. (laughs) All right. Let's rock and roll. Michael asks, I got my BS from UOP during my time as an active duty military member but ever since i got out of service i have heard that many medical schools look down upon degrees from uop is this true what's uop i have no idea i I am guessing that it's university of phoenix Mm. only because he said might look down upon degrees yeah Mm. that's what it is uop okay yeah Uh, uop yeah Hmm. Dr. Wright, University of Phoenix, uh, kind of one of the notorious for-profit online, uh, typically education services out mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts? Well, I would say that I that individual um, admissions committees members may have 
individual opinions about online education. And, and what we're talking about here is not the online education that everybody was forced into because of COVID. And we're not talking about a brick and mortar institution that also offers online options and courses. What we're talking about here is an institution that is strictly online. That's all yep. they do. Yep. And, uh, and so I think that there would, there, there, the possibility is that there may be individual admissions committee members that would look at it and, and, and kind of think, well, I don't know about this, you know, it's all online and, you know, whatever, and have their own opinions about it. But yep. at the end of the day, it's regionally accredited. It is, um, you know, it's been around for, I don't know, 20 years, maybe 30, I don't, who, who knows. And, um, and so I, I wouldn't, you know, my, my point to this kind of question is always, well, you've already done the work there. So what, what does it even mean if they do look down upon it? I mean, there's nothing you can do about it at this point. So, yeah. The question would be, do I need to redo a whole bachelor's Mm -hmm. degree again? No, no, I don't think so. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Mohammed, are clinical activities strictly to get clinical experience or learn and show clinical skills? I love this question. Mm-hmm. I love it. Verinia, what do you think? Do medical schools admit students who are expert phlebotomists they, only because they sorry. are expert phlebotomists? Uh, no. <laughs> Um, no no no, that's not the only reason that's not strictly what um a medical school is looking for of course it helps your application and it's expected that you're going to earn this experience before um venturing into the world of med school applications um but i i read this and i thought well it's sort of the same you're getting clinical experience to learn and show clinical skills um so i don't see them as two separate things um so but but the whole purpose um muhammad of doing the clinicals and doing the trying to get into this en- environment where you're around patients it's just to show yourself that this is what you want to do that, that mm-hmm. you like doing this um it's yeah. not just to impress medical schools mm-hmm. That's it. That's that's the key part, right? To, mm-hmm. to show yourself, to prove to yourself that this is what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And there are lots of clinical experiences out there where you are not going to learn, quote unquote, skills like I know how to do uh, a venipuncture. I know how to do intubation. I know how to do uh, X, Y or Z, whatever clinical skills that may come to mind for you. Medical schools are going to teach you what you need to know. Residency is going to teach you what you need to know in terms of the actual skills outside of like empathy and communication and all of those other things that you should be learning even outside of your clinical experiences as well. So, yeah. So don't don't think about your experiences only about like what I learned in terms of I'm an expert phlebotomist, right? That's just an easy one to pick. And I've seen lots and lots and lots of experience descriptions where students will try to highlight that and and focus on that thinking, oh, the school's going to be so impressed. Like, they don't even need to teach me this. (laughs) They're still going to teach you it. Right. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good question. It's important to understand the why. Mm -hmm. 
Um, yeah, ideally, I think clinicals should be one of your favorite things. Um, and Mohammed, you know, we're kind of drilling down here because we love your question, not because it's a bad one, right? But uh, I sometimes hear students say things like, well, I don't know how to fit in clinical on top of studying. I think, yeah, but it should be, I know, I mean, the studying is rigorous, right? I'm not dismissing that, but it should be an exciting break from MCAT and mm -hmm. studying. It should be the thing that confirms your desire to be a physician. It fuels your fire. It reminds you what you're working for. Um, so if you're doing clinical and feeling meh about it, that's a great sign that you either need to find a different clinical experience or reconsider the physician path you're on. Um, so hopefully you love it. <laughs> it's great. And <laughs> <laughs> hey, that was pretty good. What? <laughs> you gonna sell Tony. some cornflakes? <laughs> me and Tony go way back. <laughs> I bet. Too sugary for me. <laughs> Lenny asks, "Hello, guys. Thank you for your live Q and A. I, if I'm working as a CNA, do I also need to get more clinical experience? Like, for example, shadowing a doctor?" Ha-ha! Dr. Wright, is shadowing clinical experience? No. Why not? Two, the two are different. Uh, shadowing is just very passive. Following around a doctor, uh, you know, he or she may ask you, you know, or converse with you and ask questions or stuff. But basically, you're just following them around watching yep. what they're doing. Uh, clinical experience, on the other hand, is patient-centered, is active. So you're, <clears throat> you're, you know, talking to the patients, you're interacting with them, you're doing things. So a CNA is all clinical experience. That's all it is, mm -hmm. is, is clinical experience. And uh, so, yes, you need to have both. You need to, uh, I think you need to have clinical experience, and you need to shadow doctors. And, and my suggestion always is to shadow doctors in a variety of settings, at a hospital setting, in a private practice setting, clinical, you know, a clinic setting, you know, in a variety of settings and even a, a variety of different kinds of doctors uh, in different specialties because they're going to have a very different, you know, some of what they do are gonna, is going to be very similar. But in other cases, it's going to be very different in terms of wh how, what their daily life looks like. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I definitely think you need both and they are not the same. And shadowing right now is really hard to find yep. uh, because of something called COVID. I don't know uh, yeah. if you've heard of it. Um, eShadowing.com is a great place to go get some shadowing experience. Uh, just hanging out with me on Monday nights. We had an amazing session on Monday. You can still watch that replay and get credit for that replay uh, with actually a med school classmate of mine, uh, Dr. Uh, Julie Crystal. She's a pediatric oncologist. So cool. um, really, really awesome. She's so passionate and, and students loved her. We had like 400 plus students with mm. us live. So it was, it was awesome. I thought that is awesome. Yeah. Hanin asks, I'm currently volunteering as a COVID screener at a hospital, but when I signed up for the position the hospital mentioned, it's not a clinical position. Is this true? Huh. All right. So our question. first is this clinical question. <laughs> so this is interesting that she's specifically or he's specifically saying um, 
The hospital mm-hmm. said it's not a clinical position. Now, the hospital may have its own definition outside of medical school admissions definitions of clinical versus non-clinical. So their definition is probably more of the you're doing something to the patients versus asking questions. Mm-hmm. So a COVID screener in my mind, and I, I've been to the hospital a few times uh, just w- for some other procedures with my, my daughter during this whole COVID thing. And it's basically someone like shooting your forehead with a thermometer and saying, have you had any coughs, fevers, chills, whatever. Um, that's kind of bare bones uh, interactions. What do you think about that, Scott? Yeah, I mean, and, and what I would add to what you just said, Ryan, is, is what we talk about all the time is on the application, whether you're talking about AMCAS or ACOMAS or TMDSAS, it, you have the ability to indicate what you think something was. Yeah. Um, and, and, and then you're going to let the, the medical school judge whether they agree with you or not. Now, if it's way off, you know, w- way out there yep. and then, yeah, they're going to be like, what the heck is this? You know, yeah. um, but in a case like this, if, if you said, OK, I was COVID screener at the hospital, I did X, Y and Z. I de- dealt with patients. I took the temperature. I asked them all these questions and everything. I think this is clinical. So I'm going to list this as clinical. I don't think you're going to get a whole lot of pushback from that. Uh, and so I would say, yeah, it sounds clinical to me. You know, there may be individual admissions committee members that might be like, eh, I don't think that's clinical. And But, you know, all in all, I think, um, you know, you, you're going to make a judgment. You're going to put that on your application. And if you make a good faith effort to, to categorize it in a way that sounds appropriate, then I think it, it'll be it'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. You got it. It's it's up to you. And and I, I think I, I mentioned this during our application academy session last night. We had lots of uh, is this clinical questions during that session. And and I said exactly what you said is is it's up to you to say what it is. And then each individual medical school will adjudicate it how they want. They'll go, yeah, no, that's not clinical. Or yeah, that's clinical. Um, yeah. AMCAS isn't doing that. The AAMC isn't doing that on a verification processing level. Each individual medical school is going to be doing that. Right. And, and in, you know, potentially each individual reader or admissions committee member or interviewer is you know going to make a judgment on that yeah. too so it you know it's it, it's 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 somewhat subjective yep. and uh so you gotta you know make the uh make the call yourself and then stick yeah. with it yeah. and I, i've given the example of of a emergency room volunteer before people will will be emergency room volunteers and they'll say is it clinical and of course i have to go through the whole well what did you do the title itself doesn't tell me anything and and people will focus on, oh, well, I did this with the patient, I did that with the patient, interacting, talking, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, sure, let's call that clinical. And then they write their activity description. And the activity description is, while I was an emergency room volunteer, I made sure that the shelves were stocked and the rooms were clean. I'm like, don't focus on that mm-hmm. if you're trying to tell me that it's a clinical experience. Right. Like, we all know there's non-clinical things involved in clinical experiences. You don't need right. to focus on that. Yeah, Exactly. That is exactly right. Yeah, it's a common question, and we are here to help you learn to think about it critically. Yep. 
<laughs> ABL, how formal do non-academic recognitions need to be for TMDSAS? The TMDSAS handbook was vague about this. Uh-oh, Dr. Wright. Uh, could I add recognition I received in the form of an email sent to everyone at my clinical job? How formal do non-academic recognitions need to be for TMDSAS? So he's basically saying, does an email count as a recognition that I can put on my application? To me, um, that sounds like no. I wouldn't. I would not include that. Uh, it sounds like everybody got a recognition. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was something like the whole department mm -hmm. stepped up and did something great, and everybody got an email. Or maybe it's an email from your boss that says, "Oh, you did a great job yesterday," or, or whatever. Now it may be more formal than that. Uh, ABL, you don't really indicate, but I would say no. Um, and, and, you know, recognitions like that, you know, we have a lot of students that put things like Dean's List or, you know, um, you, you know, things like that and or that I graduated, you know, with honors or uh, that I got such and such scholarship, which is a merit scholarship, whatever. Um, and, and what I would say on all, on all that stuff is that stuff is nice. But I want you to focus more on what you did to get the honor than the honor itself. I want you to focus on what did I do to get that? You know, Dean's List, that's already reflected in your GPA. And, and you know, yeah, you got on the Dean's List because you got all A's and B's or whatever. Um, so, you know, I would, I would be, um, but in this case, I would say that doesn't sound uh, quite, quite to the level to me. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> Lauren, hello, Lauren. Many schools have a quote post interview question session with current students. Is this a test? <laughs> Are they keeping track of who attends and who speaks? Don't, uh, don't worry. Uh, I can't read the rest. Uh, I smiled, I smiled the, whole the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> Lauren, I hope you didn't actually smile the whole time because yeah. that might be a little weird. Creepy, <laughs> creepy. <laughs> <laughs> I think we understand your point. <laughs> yes. Is it a test? Yeah. Verenia, what do you think? I mean, I think, no, I think this is a, a perfect example of, you know, pre-med students worrying about everything. Um, yes, of course, they're observing and, and watching how you're interacting. But, um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't stress it um, as long as you're not, you know, being like outwardly rude or whatever to, you know, the people that you're around. Um, but yeah, sure, they're observing, they're, you know, they're um, aware of, you know, who's there and what you're doing, but I wouldn't stress it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I would say, Vrini, I, I remember when I was at UT Southwestern, you know, on, on, a, on a regular interview day, not virtual, in-person mm -hmm. type stuff, we would watch. Mm -hmm. um, and, and what we would do is, and it wasn't, oh, we're watching everybody, mm -hmm. but it was, it was more an issue of, is something obviously strange mm -hmm. right. about this person's behavior? Exactly. You know, were they obviously rude, right. like you said, mm -hmm. or did they obviously fall asleep during a session? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And we had, we had students sometimes that would do that oh. or at the beginning when, you know, we, we used to have kind of a continental breakfast at the beginning where, when the everybody's coming in and stuff and we see air, all the applicants are like, you know, milling about and talking mm -hmm. and all this. And then when there's just one applicant over by himself, 
yeah. over in the corner. And it's like, well, you know, and so I would use often I would go over to one of the uh, students, uh, current medical students that were helping with the day. And I would say to them, hey, at some point today, would you make a point of having a conversation with that dude over there and just give me your opinion about mm-hmm. kind of, you know, is, is there because and they would say, oh, yeah, what's his deal? He's over there by himself, you know, so it's that kind of thing. And so, you know, but, but it, it has to rise to that level of kind of oddity that, you know, it, in general, they're not just watching and, you know, taking notes about what everybody's doing and stuff like that. But but what about the question if we just go who attends versus who doesn't? Well, now, you know, I would say that individual medical schools, you know, do whatever they're going to do. Uh, yeah. Would it be possible that a, an individual medical school would would keep track of that and, and potentially use that? I would say medical schools are going to use whatever mm-hmm. they have available to them yeah. to make decisions. Yeah. And so yeah. if if somebody says, well, I'm not going to go to that, you know, it's, I've heard mm-hmm. it a zillion times at every yeah. medical school, then I would say. Yeah, that's not, not, not the right attitude. Okay, yeah. so never mind, Lauren. It is a test. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it, even pre-interview, pre-interview, we have uh, the different med school fairs, both virtually and in person at, at different conferences, assuming we get back to that at some point. Yeah. Um, and, and I've heard from plenty of students who have talked to schools to say, yes, like, Interact with, interact with us. Like every interaction that you have will go into a file that will keep on you. Um, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll know you. Right. So every interaction, take that opportunity. Indeed. Indubitably. Pooja asks, is it a must to have research experience before applying to the medical school? No. Nope. (laughs) Easy answer. No, it is not a must. Nope. Even for those big name research heavy institutions, I've had conversations with them. They're like, we're looking for everyone, not just people who have research. Yep, that's right. Yeah, I I was at, I'm sorry, Rachel, <laughs> going back to that. <laughs> I was at I was at, at UT Southwestern, you know, big uh, research powerhouse institution, yep. and uh, every year we would keep track of this kind of thing. And I would say most years, about half of our class had research experience, and half the class did not. Yep. So it, it you know it was not an, a uh, a must have thing. Yeah, it's it's. A very scary question because the AAMC self-reported data on this is that like 95% of students have research experience and only 75% have clinical. I'm just like, I don't believe those numbers. (laughs) It's all self-reported data, uh, I'm pretty sure, from from students on that. Yep, yep. Yeah, I was going to ask that as a follow-up, is why do you think, I mean, that we, we, the four of us, know as experts that research is a really overrated experience like pre-meds seem to be really drawn to it um and do you think it's just the amcas data do you think there are other factors why why do so many students think they need research more than they need clinical when we three what are you doing here (laughs) you finish finish your question nobody can hear me (laughs) 
<laughs> I already lost it. I got totally distracted by your fingers. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> shiny object, shiny object. <laughs> so your question is, why do pre-meds think this thing? And so I'm holding up three three fingers for three letters. S, D, N. Mm. Ooh. Not Ooh. you, but them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think. Student doctor network. Yep. Misinformed advisors, yeah. not all of which are misinformed. Uh, misinformed advisors, uh, well-meaning parents. <laughs> um, That's what I was going to say. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This this persistent notion from parents, in particular, about well, these are the the things that you need, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. not necessarily true. Yep. So here's what I'll say, pre-med friends: think critically about this. Are you, as a physician, unless you're MD, PhD, are you, as a physician, going to be spending more time doing things that are like clinical experience or things that are like research experience? Right? Does it make sense to you in that light that clinical is the one that you really need? Right? Student teachers do student teaching, right? They don't do student principaling. <laughs> Good point. They do the thing they're going to do every day in the classroom. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. All right. Okay. Now we can get to poor Lily, who's like, "Why do you keep putting my question up and then not answering it?" <laughs> I, I didn't forget about you, Lily. You're next. <laughs> Lily, I'm a medical ER scribe and wrote a significant story in my personal statement. Dr. Ray talks about stories in the activity section. How do I write about scribing in the AAMC section? Do I tell another story? <laughs> I always have to move around my my phone um do i tell another story so this comes up a lot uh uh in terms of people who have read my book about writing a personal statement and telling a story that the personal statement in in my mind and i think on all of our minds is your story about why you want to be a physician and you're you're supporting that decision with examples of your experience and exposure to patients to say like I'm putting myself around patients. It makes me feel all warm and tingly inside. And this is wonderful. And I want this for the rest of my life. And then they go, well, how do I, how am I going to write about it in my person, in my activity section? And I think it's, you, you follow the same advice. You obviously don't want to tell the same story, uh, but you're focusing on impact in the activity section, focusing on, on what it meant to you to do that thing. So yeah, you just focus on potentially on a different story. Remember the activity section doesn't have to all these stories. Um, but, uh, stories work a lot uh, for for activity sections, but um, yeah, yeah. That's what I got. Mm-hmm. There you go, Lily. You finally, finally got it. <laughs> <laughs> Tavner asks. I finished my post back from Temple in twenty one. Hey, he was hanging out with uh, our Caleb. friend Caleb. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, didn't take the MCAT because I needed a break. I'm going to take it in April. How would I explain that to medical schools? Don't. Yeah. Yeah. Vernie, what do you think? Yeah, no, you don't have to worry about it. You don't. You just weren't ready to, to take it. You don't have yep. to bring that up. It doesn't come up. It's not a question. Um, don't worry about it. I agree. And, you know, and if if an interviewer, for example, got so down and dirty in your application that they noticed all these, you know, mm-hmm. you know, this discrepancy in the timeline and stuff, which the chances of that happening are yeah. slim, yeah. Uh, then you would just explain, you know, like Verenia said, I'm not, I just didn't feel like I was ready. And so I you know, yeah. took a break. And, 
Yeah. Yeah. Students, students, I think, have this mindset that that people are going through with a super fine tooth comb and they they see one activity ending in like July and the next one didn't start until September. And they're like, what did you do in August? What did you do? Are you doubting yourself? Do you not want to do this? Are you not committed? <laughs> but it's a holistic review, Dr. Gray. They look at everything. Everything. Yes. Yep. Uh, Fedat, Feda, one of those, uh, currently have one prereq left taking in the fall, currently in rigorous six month MCAT training program, five meetings a week. Wow. wow. Uh, is it okay to start extra activities after the MCAT? I also work full-time Monday to Friday. I apply in 2023. Busy, busy, busy. Wow. Yeah. Lots of balls in the air. MCAT. Yeah. So I'm not sure I understand the question. Is it okay to start extra? Okay. Uh, yeah. So extracurricular activities, not just extra activities. So is it okay to start the activities after the MCAT? Meaning very likely I don't have clinical experience. I don't have shadowing. I don't have X, Y, or Z. Mm. Rachel, what do you think? So uh, Dr. Wright often talks about optimal, acceptable, and not acceptable, right? Mm -hmm. Optimal is starting clinical experience as soon as you have a grip on your post-secondary work. So you're one, two semesters into college or your career change or whatever. You know you can handle the grades. Start shadowing doctors. Start getting clinical experience. Why? Well, we talked about it 15 minutes ago, but I'm going to say it again. It is not just for the med schools. It is primarily so you can confirm your desire to be a physician. Get in there, get dirty, find out what it's like day to day, make sure you still love it and you want this career. That's optimal. Now you said you only have one prereq left, so you're past optimal. Is it going to be acceptable? You didn't say when you're taking the MCAT, but it's a six month training program. So let's say June. What if you started getting clinical and shadowing in July and you apply in May, 2023? Well, that'll give you 10 months of experience. If you have, you know, there's not a set number of hours. They're not a set number of weeks or months that we're never going to give you a number. We're never going to say if it's enough, it's never enough because it should be consistent forever. So if that's the soonest you can start, I mean, you're also working full time. So I understand you're busy. If that's the soonest you can start, then, then so be it. If you can find some volunteering where you can maybe do just a couple hours of something a month before then, great. But um, I mean, I don't know what else you would do, right? I mean, you could decide to delay a year so you get two years of clinical instead of one year, but mm -hmm. I don't know that you need to because it's not about the years or the months. It's about what did it mean to you? Yeah. What about potentially changing the job to something that is clinical experience? So you're kind of killing two birds with one stone. Yeah. So I'm going to set aside before I was saying optimal, acceptable, not acceptable to yeah. me. Now that's a whole different question because it's about what kind of money are you making? What can yeah. you afford? Who are you supporting? Who depends on you? Um, a lot of entry level clinical jobs do not pay very well. Right. If you are lucky enough that you can afford to take a pay cut to get that experience, then yeah, that's a lovely way to kill two birds with one stone. Yep. But if you need that money to, 
you know, keep siblings or children or grandparents or parents going or just keep yourself going because you matter a whole lot. <laughs> um, if, if that's what it takes to keep a roof over your head and keep yourself sane, then, you know, yeah, you've got to make the decision. Um, a lot of sacrifices are required to go to med school, but we're not going to tell you which ones. We're just going to tell you to think about the whole process and then decide. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Good point. Excellent point. <laughs> Nick asks, I appreciate, uh, oh, I'll get the question. <laughs> I'll leave the, uh, nice. Uh, anyway, since real shadowing is hard to come by, I wanted to know your thoughts on full immersive shadowing experiences like Atlantis. So full disclosure, uh, Atlantis has sponsored um, the pre-med years podcast before, sponsored medical, uh, medical school headquarters before. Um, they are experiences. <laughs> I, I think um, medical schools will view them as, um, a, a, hey, it's nice to have some money and go on these things. Uh, it's, it's kind of a a forced experience where you're going and ex getting exposed to a, um, a foreign country's healthcare system could be great depending on what, how you make the most of it. So um, I, I wouldn't bet on it being kind of the silver bullet to help your application. But if you're privileged enough to be able to go and, and experience and, and go <clears throat> live in another country for a couple of weeks, Go, go check it out. Yeah. I, there is at least one medical school that I know of that does not accept international shadowing. Um, but that's that's just one that I know of. Mm -hmm. What do you think, Scott? Yeah, I agree with you completely. I think, you know, uh, experience, shadowing experience, clinical experience is what it is. And, uh, you know, whether you're going abroad to do it, whether you're doing it at home, I, I don't think abroad work like that replaces work here in the U.S. Um, I think it could supplement that um, because, you know, in, in many cases, um, systems are very different and stuff in terms of how physicians participate within the context of their system. You know, for example, I get a lot of students who comment in shadowing about how much time the clinical staff at, at a clinic or a private practice office spend on the phone arguing with uh, with uh, insurance companies about what they can do or what's acceptable or what's going to be approved or, you know, and, and sometimes the doctor has to get on the phone, you know, with whoever they're talking to and stuff like that. In, in, in many, you know, um, socialized medicine countries, that would not exist. And mm -hmm. so um, I, I think that would, it's just an example of uh, what, might be very different in terms of what you might see and participate in, in a, in a foreign, uh, in some kind of a broad experience. Yeah. Christian asks, I'm scheduled to take my MCAT April 9th, but I'm feeling overwhelmed with content review and I'm running behind on my schedule that I made. Any tips? Oh, MCAT experts. Rachel Grubbs. Si se puede. <laughs> uh, Christian, it's too early to give up hope. Everybody feels overwhelmed. Everybody feels behind. That's normal. You said the test is April 9th. Today we're recording on January 26th. Uh, make a new schedule. Update it. If you're using Blueprint, they've got that free study plan and you can adjust it anytime. Um, and 
And not, what you, not using Blueprint as in like a course. If you just have a free Blueprint account, you have access to their study planner tool. Exactly. So, yeah, right. sorry. Thank you for clarifying that. Yeah, there is Blueprint has a, has a course, but it has a free study plan for everyone. Um, content review from the way you said this, and I'm reading, I'm feeling overwhelmed with content review and I'm running behind on my schedule. That makes me think that you have put content review before practice. And I disagree with that. I think you should be mixing both the whole time. Obviously, as you get closer to the test, you're doing less and less content review and more practice. But content re review by itself isn't going to get you your desired results. So you may actually feel better doing practice. I'm not saying use up all your full links right now. I'm saying, you know, do some practice questions, do some practice passages. Um, start making yourself apply that information because honestly, that's the hard part. And when you're doing that practice, you should be reviewing your work and that becomes content review, but in a much more meaningful way, because now you're looking at it and going, what did I get right? What did I get wrong? Um, again, this is a blueprint concept, but a lot of MCAT test prep, test prep companies use something similar. So a lesson to learn journal, I think Kaplan might call it the what did I get wrong sheet. You should be keeping a notebook or an Excel spreadsheet of every single thing you get wrong or right. Every time you have a little nugget of, oh, that's what I did right, or oh, that's what I could have done better, note it down, and once a wee week, reread the whole thing. Um, and I mean, there's a whole lot of work to it, but switching gears to that kind of active practice is probably gonna make you not only learn better, but I think feel better because you'll have some accountability for yourself. Anthony asks, I work in a pathology lab processing skin biopsies alongside with pathologists in-house. I'm only working there mainly for experience. What type of experience would this be categorized as? At least they didn't ask, is this clinical? <laughs> <laughs> is this clinical? We could go back to isthisclinical.com, uh, which will be up at some point. Um, <clears throat> so, Anthony, what do you think it'll be? Right. Here's what I want all of you to to do if you're watching this and, and you're going to ask these questions. What do you think it's going to be? I work as a pathology assistant next to a pathologist. I think it's this because of X, Y, or Z. What do you think? Anthony, you still watching? Let, let us know your thoughts. We'll bring you back up. Henry asks, I applied to med school last cycle without my MCAT, but I didn't continue with my app due to my score. I didn't let them know and didn't submit secondaries. Was I supposed to let them know? <laughs> no, there's there's no formal process. Uh, you just you don't submit a secondary and they don't care. Yeah. So, yep, that's fine. But you will be a reapplicant because your application will be verified. But there's nothing wrong with that. No. Okay. So Anthony's still there. So hopefully Anthony's typing away and he'll let us know. Yeah. All right. Lindsay, thoughts on letters of intent if they are going to a school that accepts them? You interviewed there and they are your top choice. Heck yeah. Yeah. Go for it. Mm -hmm. Rock and roll. Yeah. Definitely. Now's the time. Definitely. Go for it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so here's one that I disagree with. Ah, comfort. <laughs> There's a shortage of clinical experience opportunities due to COVID. 
and I'm currently working as a research assistant. Will it reflect badly if I apply with <clears throat> few months of clinical experience? So are you are you disagreeing with the shortage of clinical experiences? Yes. yes. I don't think there is a shortage. I think that a lot of people think clinical experience is meant to be volunteer, and it's not. Clinical can be paid or volunteer. And while, yes, some volunteer opportunities have dropped up, dried up because of the pandemic, there are more for higher clinical opportunities than ever before. Hospitals mm -hmm. are hurting yeah. for help. Yeah. Nursing homes Nursing. are hurting for help. Mm -hmm. Hospice hurting for help. Lots and lots of places to get clinical experience. Yeah. Yeah. So let's let's ignore that part of it. Uh, will it reflect badly with only a few months of experience? And and Scott, we talk about this a lot in terms of well, what is the point of clinical experience? Now, this question is kind of pointing to, oh, you're supposed to have a certain amount. And will it look bad if I don't have that amount? But in our mind, not having enough, quote unquote, enough is really for you to not be able to verbalize and to write in an essay, uh, to talk in an interview about why you want to be a doctor, mm -hmm. right? What are your mm -hmm. thoughts there? No, I agree completely. I think, you know, it, we, we talk about it all the time that we're not going to give you a number in terms of the number of hours or, you know, how much time you need to have spent doing this, that, or the other. Um, I, I think it, it's, it really is, I agree with you completely, Ryan. It's how you talk about it. It's how you're reflecting on it and the depth of your discussion about what you got out of that experience. That's what's going to be the key. And, and I've seen applicants before who had what I consider to be pretty limited uh, uh, clinical um, ex exposure, but who just got it. And they were able to really talk about it in a way that just was, you know, very compelling. And, and, yeah. uh, and then I've seen people that have gazillions of hours mm -hmm. and it's like, they don't have a clue. Yeah. But I got hours. Isn't that what yeah. you wanted? Yeah. 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 I talked with someone the other day who described their clinical, um, as well, I helped nurses and I did whatever they told me to do. Yeah. And I was like, I am sure that's true, but I want you to try again. <laughs> you know, yeah. like let's let's think about this admissions committee member is reading thousands or at least hundreds of applications and in all of these activities descriptions, all of these personal statements. Uh, are you making it easy for them to know what your experience was? All right, we got another interesting one here. Yes, this one, this one triggered me. <laughs> Sanjay asks, what counts as an X factor? My counselor told me I need an X factor to make it because I'm not a minority. <sighs> yeah, fire your advisor. Uh, counselor, yes. Th this brings me back, like, like in those Disney Pixar movies where it's just like a quick little like rewind and, and it flash in my eyes. Yeah. Uh, talking to my advisor, going, "You're a white male. You'll never get into medical school." I'm just like, uh, "What am I supposed to do? Like, I can't fix that." Um, yeah, w what the heck is an X factor, Verini? What do you? I have no. I you know, and I hear this all the time. I can't. I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you. There's just no way to quantify yeah. that or operationalize uh, it. 
yeah. don't know where it comes I from. I think they're I think they're talking about the wow factor. The sort of you read their application and they're like, wow. But that's I so subjective. It. It's it's it's, it's, it's incredibly subjective. subjective. Yeah. And sorry, I sorry, you know, don't know what yeah. the X factor is. I yeah. mean, that's so, right. So sorry. so Scott, former director of admissions at a medical school, you must have had a policy that said we will only accept people with the X factor. No. Right. And we're not talking about the X chromosome because we all have those. Yes. yes. <laughs> Theoretically. Yes. <laughs> I think, I'm not thinking of all the variations. I'm like, yeah, I think X is always there. Um, anyway, uh, th this to me just screams like, I don't know anything about medical school admissions. And so I'm just going to make up this thing that says, oh, you're not a, a URM student, right? An underrepresented medicine student. And so you must go out and cure cancer if you want to get into medical school. Yep. You yep. must go out and do X, Y, or Z. Yep. And it's just like not – you can't. It's impossible. You and it need does, to be yourself. And it does not work that way in the admissions process at the medical school level. That's yep. not – that's not at all what they're looking for that, that, you know, yeah, if they see a student who has this, you know, amazing story and they did this amazing thing, but that is such a small, minute, small yeah. number of students. The, the vast majority of applicants out there are, um, you know, are sort of typical. They do the yeah. stuff and they, you know, this is what I am. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, very common. I'd be so, curious. Sorry. Go ahead, Brittany. No, sorry. I would just be curious to to hear what the advisor count considers as the X factor. Mm -hmm. Like, what did the advisor say? This potentially, and obviously, I don't know who this counselor is, but I hear this often in college admissions. Yeah. Like, if you want to get into Harvard, yeah. you need to have started a club in in high school that whatever. Right. right. Things like that. Do you think that's where this language is coming from, Rachel? Yeah. As someone who is a trained college admissions counselor. Yeah, that's exactly what it made me think of is uh, Ivy League and Stanford kind of schools. And X Factor still isn't really right. But um, there is there are some schools of thought in college admissions counseling that if you're trying to go to a extremely selective school. So one of those schools that has. Um, the BSU and news, U.S. News ranking, and they encourage everybody to apply so they can reject 95% of the applicants. Um, there is a school of thought that with those kinds of schools, because everyone who applies has, you know, top 10 ranking and a 5.8 GPA and a perfect SAT score, that those things are enough to let you apply, but not enough to get in. So then they're looking for the kid who got a published poem in The New Yorker or somebody who you know, created a math theorem with their professor. Um, and I think that's where the X factor comes from. But med school is different. Um, not the same number of applicants, not the same kind of weird brand name stuff. Um, you know, it's all the U.S. med schools are great. Yeah, there are some that are more famous, often because of their undergraduate institutions, but they're all great. And X Factor, frankly, it makes me think of like um, American Idol or The Voice. Yeah, yeah. Like whatever. it's about yeah. looks or does it make for good television? But again, usually, and I'm going to take away Sanjay's question just because not beating up Sanjay here. But think about it critically, guys. When you go to the doctor, do you care whether or not they did Peace Corps? Do you care if they started a club in college? 
You want to know if they're competent and kind and good at communicating with you, right? Like think about what you're looking for in a doctor. Um, you also want to know they're good students to survive med school and actually remember what they learn. Um, yeah. So, you know, what do you think admissions committees are looking for? They're looking for future physicians, not future American Idol contestants. <laughs> Good point. I, I did. I, I did. Um, uh, although he's kind of on my my bad list right now, I, I did go to an open casting call for Fear Factor back in the day. So, Oh, uh, really? Back, back with the Joe, the Joe Rogan man. That um, says a lot about you. <laughs> right there, Ryan. I like eating worms. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually not I surprised. Know. I didn't make it. I didn't make it, if you couldn't tell. Uh, um, yeah, you didn't have the I X Factor. I would never do that. I would never do that. Um, Anthony, uh, I, I see your follow-up comments. But you're telling us what you did. I want you to tell us what you think it is. That's what I want. Yeah. And since we're coming close to the end and we have so many more questions about clinical, I'm going to remind you guys, clinical is generally, are you interacting with the patients directly in a way directly related to their health care? Yep. Apply that question to your experience. Yeah. Yes, yes. And before we jump to the next question, um, today at 4 p.m. Eastern, we are doing an application workshop. So uh, please go to mapped.com slash events to go register for that. Even if you can't make it live, uh, go register. We'll send out the replay yeah. after. Yeah, it's the do's and don'ts uh, of the med school application process. Yes. All right. Tanisha, will doing all my prereqs at community college due to money and need for flexibility reflect badly when I apply for medical school? Scott, your uh, good, better, best scenario here. Yeah, get, yeah, yeah. Uh, Tanisha, what I, what I, typically do is say there's a optimal and, and Rachel alluded to it or, or uh, talked about it earlier, optimal, acceptable, and non-acceptable. Optimally, I don't think that's a great idea uh, to do all your prereqs at community college. However, is it acceptable? Absolutely. It is. Uh, community colleges are accredited. Uh, they are definitely cheaper than university and they, they, tend to have a more flexible course schedule. So if that's what you have to do, then that's what you do. Um, you know, optimally life would be different and X, Y, and Z wouldn't affect you and you'd have more money or, you know, whatever and not need the flexibility uh, for the schedule. But, um, but if that's the realities for you, then you do what you, you do what you can do. And, uh, and so, you know, I'd really encourage you to, uh, to not worry about it, you know, do what you can do, uh, make sure that when, uh, you know, I think, uh, uh, if you're going to transfer from community college to, uh, to a four-year institution to complete your degree, um, then you want to be consistent in terms of the uh, performance in the classroom between the community college and university. And MCAT score is going to going to be important. Not that they really say the same thing, but it, it, it's a it's a um, it's a, a a metric that the medical schools use to to see 
you know, what kind of powerhouse you have in terms of intellectual capability and, and the ability to utilize knowledge uh, on an exam. Great. And our friend Anthony has come up with a thesis. Oh, non-clinical since it's no patient interaction. We have a winner. Yeah, right? Anthony. So it would be paid or volunteer, depending on if you get a paycheck or not. Um, and then, yeah, it'd be non-clinical. Yep. Good job, Anthony. Excellent yeah. work. Way to go. That's what we want. Gold star for Anthony. Critical Thinking Award won. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, I understand that a lot of the questions come from, I'm hoping that you'll say it's clinical, but I'm pretty sure it's not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or but, also just reassurance, right? I mean, sometimes, you know, and you still want to hear us say, and, and we get that. We're not trying mm -hmm. to shame you, but we are trying to help you learn from all the advice we're giving, not just your specific questions. But And I would say, Anthony, it sounds like that you're getting some really interesting experiences in what you're yeah. doing. Mm -hmm. And you're, mm -hmm. you're participating with physicians. You're seeing what a pathologist does and how this works. And, you know, so don't minimize uh, what you're doing and the impact of what you're doing. Reflect on it, you know take yep. things away from it that you can include in your application, but it's not clinical. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, uh, so it's not that it's not worth anything. It's just, it's valuable yeah. in other ways. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Good the point. fact that you work with a pathologist, potentially part of what you're doing, you could classify as shadowing to say, Hey, like 95% yeah, mm -hmm. of what I do is yeah. this non-clinical paid or volunteer, whatever it is, but 5% of it is shadowing. And I'm going to throw that in a, to a shadowing yeah. category. Yep. Absolutely. One more? Uh, let's see. Do I have one more? I like RM's question. Can we? Can, uh, can I pop that one? I up? don't see it, so go ahead and pop it up. Yeah. So RM is asking, uh, if I submit my application in May, but my MCAT isn't scheduled until August, will they even look at my application before August? So application timing question, MCAT timing question. I love this one. <sighs> Dr. Wright, at, at UT Southwestern, uh, if a student had a pending MCAT score, what would you do with the application typically? Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. And that's pretty not, standard. Until a, until a file is complete, we're not going to do anything with it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's pretty standard language throughout is an uh, incomplete file and a complete file. Complete typically means primary application, secondary application, letters of recs that you've designated to go to that school, and an MCAT score. Yep. Uh, and that MCAT score, if you're taking it in August, that MCAT score is not going to come back until September. That's very late in the cycle to, to have a complete um, application for a medical school to then start looking at it. Mm -hmm. Is it possible to get into medical school, be reviewed, all that fun stuff? Sure, it is. It's just not ideal at all. So if you can take the MCAT earlier, I would recommend it. Uh, if you need to take it then, then there are two thoughts. You either continue to just apply later or apply in, in May when you say you are um, and just take a later MCAT score. And in between those two times, you're writing all of your secondary essays and stuff like that. Um, or you take the MCAT in August or maybe even a little bit later and just wait till the next cycle to apply. Mm -hmm. So yep. fingers crossed. Yeah. Good luck. Yep. Good luck. Yeah. RM, 
<clears throat> All right, my friends, we have come to a close again. We will be together again in a couple hours at mm -hmm. our the do's and don'ts of the medical school admissions uh, or application process mm -hmm. today at 2 p.m. Eastern. Again, maps.com slash events to come hang out with us. 4 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Mountain. Yes, 2 p.m. Yeah. Mountain. Sorry, 4 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Mountain. Um, come hang out with us, and uh, we'll see you, of course, next week at another Ask the Dean. Yep. Yes. Thanks, Bye. everybody. Bye, Bye everybody. everybody. This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.